0: Thank, you. Thank, you. Thank, you. Thank you. Good afternoon and good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Lockdown Sound Podcast. This is Will Fierro, as always, joined by my co-host and
1: co-partner, Hunter Trumbull. How's it going, everybody? Uh, we're actually missing a man in action tonight, Michael Scholl. He also is part owner of the company. Uh, he couldn't make it tonight due to job obligations, but he will be here with us on the next podcast. Um, just a little bit of insight on the Southern Michigan Waterfowl Chasers. We're a relatively new company. We've only been around for about six months now. Um We're moving up in the ranks, though. I'd say our calls are doing pretty well for ourselves. How it all started is uh, we actually went to our buddy's house. We were watching a UFC fight, and uh, we decided we were all going to get drunk and have fun. And I had been making calls already for my lathe, for my lanyard. And uh, we decided that it would be a good idea just to start making bulk orders and trying to sell them. And... You know, some of us really thought uh, there's not really any way we're going to sell that many calls, but it's actually been going pretty well, and uh, we're looking to keep upping the audience and get more of a following, and hopefully, uh, everyone listening to this can jump on board. Right, right, right.
0: So a little insight of what the products we carry are. We have <clears throat> uh, different sounds when it comes to ducks. We have single-reed timber, double-reed timber, um, single-reed open water, and double-reed open mat water, along with woody whistles and Canadian spec and uh, uh, lesser calls as well. Sorry about that. Um, joining the production line shortly will be some more apparel, aside from our hats and shirts that we're already selling, as long as well as
1: uh, grunt calls for deer and works like that. We're looking to start broadening our horizon on everything. You know, we're in talks with some different companies and, and kind of within ourselves about how we want to make our products better, um, you know, more, pro- more friendly to the user. Um, and right now we're just trying to grow, up, grow the ranks and get people to really acknowledge us as a company and we're just trying to meet and get to know everybody in the industry so we can get a name for ourselves, you know, we're not looking to make it real too big right yet, but um, if we can get to know some people and have them use our calls and hopefully they like them and give us some feedback, that's all we're
0: looking for. All right, so let's hop right into what you guys are here for today. Our topic of discussion today is going to be public land compared to private land with some land lease work thrown in there. So let's start off with just some quick things that we know about public land and some experiences we've had. So what kind of what kind of stuff have you had happen to you on public land, both good and bad?
1: Well, I've hunted on public land my whole entire life when it comes to waterfowl. Um, I don't own any or lease any land out that has anything that waterfowl like to land on. So... I've had good and bad experiences you know we've we've showed up and had great experiences you get to meet a lot of new people and it kind of makes you close quarters and you kind of have to learn to uh, work together and uh, help help each other out to shoot as many ducks or geese as possible but there are some bad experiences mixed in there I have had people row through my decoys or shoot at my decoys uh, people will sky bust just to keep ducks away from you, um, come out 20 minutes after shooting hours and find their spot 10 feet away from you, you know, the typical public land problem that everybody runs into, and, uh, you know, there's there's just a couple bad eggs that inevitably make that public land have a bad name for itself that I think uh, could could easily be fixed if we had more people with better insight, uh, and that's what this podcast is for. <clears throat>
0: All right, so you throw out the people coming in too late and people leaving too early. It's probably the biggest thing that I've had issues with. So I will ask you right off the bat: What kind of stuff? What kind of time frame do you think people should be walking in and out of? How early is too early? How late is too late? I don't
1: think there is a such thing as too early. I mean, I'm coming in as far as walking in, correctly. Correct. Yes, I don't think there. I don't think there is a such thing as too early. You know, the early bird gets the worm. Um, especially on, especially on public land, you know, you walk in there and if you have a spot in mind, you better have a couple more spots because, you know, there's guys that will camp out there. They'll camp two, three nights. If the spots are that, you know, taken up, they'll try to get the spot. So you better have something in place backup plan, plan B. Um, I usually get there about three hours early to try to get everything set up, get my decoys out, uh, get a lay of the land a little bit better. Once I get in there, kind of feel which way the wind's going, what the weather's telling me, uh, mm-hmm. but leaving, uh, that's a whole different story uh, For me I feel like It's just when if you, know, if, you, if you bag out if you get your limit Or if you're sitting there And you're just ready to go home uh, And call it quits for the day I think you know, it, it's kind to the other hunters on the lake That if you can find a way out without bothering them Or the game around them you, you should do it But if you can't then I would wait as long as you can You know, Start waiting for other guys to take off off the lake Or wait for the waterfall to settle back down And go into a dry period of the day
0: so one of the biggest debates you always hear about waterfowl hunting especially on public land is the deer hunters versus waterfowl debate so how do you mix up the fact that deer hunters have to stay out there a little longer and are typically more disturbed by movement than duck hunters uh you know
1: i i feel like as a deer hunter you are a little more stingent on your rules than you are as a as a duck hunter Deer, you know, you're hunting the same population of deer, which is not usually the case for waterfall. Waterfall, you're usually hunting them coming through the day, going from roost to out to feed. Yeah, um, while deer, you're gonna hunt the same population of deer year-round. So the same, the same guys hunting deer on a public land, they really need to be, you know, ready to have other guys hunting as well and be kind to one another and work with each other because. You know, you spook, you spook a deer off a guy's piece, you know, and that deer will be gone for a while. And uh, I think it's just, you know, you have to be a little more kind, a little more cognizant.
0: Right, 100%. So what, what kind of things do you see most? You hunt both public and private, but mostly public. So what kind of cons do you see about hunting private over public? Do you see any, or is private pretty much always the better way to go for you?
1: Private is a little bit better to me just simply because i don't have to deal with the other people coming on and off i don't have to worry about anybody Um, and then I can run my own, I can run my own management, you know, especially for deer. I I really haven't waterfowl hunted on, on private land, but I have deer hunted on private land a lot and you can run your own management. You know, you can work the bucks year in and year out a little better. You can take the doe herd when it needs to be taken. And you're not worrying about a lot of guys just coming in there and if it's brown, it's down, you know, that, that's not a saying where I'm at, you know, you don't just shoot. If it moves and it's walking, it doesn't just get shot. You know, you gotta, you gotta look at it and, uh, make sure that it's actually a buck or a doe that you want to kill you know to keep the herd the way it should be
0: yeah i think we all definitely know those hunters that no matter what the size is if it's a yearling or not they they shoot
1: it down and hope for the best on that shot yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to turn the hunter down either because we need more hunters in this industry to keep everything moving, keep money flowing, and just to teach more people. So I'm not, I'm not coming, I won't come at anybody for shooting, you know, a small deer. I think you have to keep everybody happy, whether that be they're shooting small deer or or not. Right, um, and it's but, just a matter of whether you're shooting
0: for food on the table or just have the antlers on the wall kind of thing. Yeah. So, you brought up the fact that more hunters in the area. Obviously, we've seen an overcrowding, especially around our part of Michigan, in the public land areas. But yet, the hunting population is going down. So, what kind of stuff do you see coming from that? Well, I see
1: a lot of things. So, I think that, first of all, there's not a whole lot of ducks you know, good duck property in Michigan anyways. We have a couple of big lakes, and those will get taken up pretty quickly. We do have the lakes surrounding us, but a lot of guys just don't have the equipment to go out there. So for just the typical guy going out on, on the weekends, he's going to find public land, and those do get crowded pretty quickly. Now, if you can make it to mid-season, usually they're not too crowded because those guys, it's too cold. Most of them won't come out. But um, I just feel like our public land is starting to be used up. It's starting to be taken slowly. Um, And then, you know, there's not enough private land to go around because most guys can't afford to go out there and lease this land that's a honey hole for ducks. You know, they just they don't have the money. They don't have the resources and they're not willing to put that much time in because most of these guys go two or three times a year. You know, they're not going more than that. They're, They're just a small weekend warrior guy and they just want to go have fun with their buddies. So public land is where they want to be. Right,
0: and do you think that... I mean, one thing I feel like I've realized a lot more is that there are more weekend warriors just because you're having to travel longer distances to find good hunting land. I mean, we're blessed in the area that we live in as far as, what, there's four or five different public land areas that we could go to within
1: an hour of us. Yeah, yeah, yes. And I think the stats show that if, if there's hunting land within 45 minutes of you, public land to hunt, you're more willing to go hunt that land. If you live outside of that 45 minute window you're not go- you usually will not go find that land unless you're a really big time heavy hunter then you might go find some private land to lease or you might be willing to make that hour drive out to somewhere but luckily where we live we do have enough public land to go around you just have to be cognizant and willing to work around everybody that's there the first couple of weeks right so from the from
0: the leaser's perspective mainly from the farmer's perspective, what do you think, why are they going more towards land leases rather than just letting, you know, back in the, our parents' generation, you'd be able to just do some weekend work for them and then be able to hunt their land in the wintertime. So what kind of stuff are you running into as for why it, it's a transition to more financial reasons rather than that?
1: So I think a lot of these guys have, uh, you know, they're, they're the small middle ground farm farmers. They need money. Um, they don't always have enough money to go around. So a lease works, you know, they, they can get lease, they can lease it from the farmer themselves and they get the ground to work up and they can sublease out to a hunter and make even more money off of it. So it's a win-win for them. And then I think leasing binds you to a contract and you know, there's a lot of things you can write into this contract. So if you're just letting somebody come out for the weekend, they can really tear up your ground pretty quickly if they're not, you know, if they're not nice guys. And uh, I think by leasing it out, you can really test the waters and and see who you're leasing it to. You know, you're able to almost treat it like it's a date. You know, you go on there and you're trying to learn their personality and who they are as a person. Are they going to treat your land with respect? Are they going to treat the animals with respect like you'd want them to? And uh, by putting it in contract form, you really protect yourself and it protects them too from anything bad that were to happen. So
0: do you think that the issue with overcrowding on public land is more that –
1: Less people are leasing, or there's just not as much land to lease going around? I think it is—the crowding is happening because I think a lot of guys are not willing to put the money into the pool. They're only going to be there for two or three weekends maximum. They're not going to hunt into those those later days. They're not willing to deal with the cold. They're going to be there just in the very beginning. They don't want to put the money up. You know, And so they're willing to just go out there And fight with the crowds To shoot a few ducks They don't really care All they want to do is shoot Six or seven ducks on the year And go home and drink some coffee And call it a day So I really don't think it has to do with anything with From the land perspective of it uh, I just think it's got a lot to do with the money And the time they're willing to put in
0: So leases are obviously very expensive Especially in our area And especially even more come late season goose And late season waterfowl in general Why do you think – I mean are the prices so high because the farmers want more money or is the pricing so high because they have so many people knocking on their doors and they know they can get basically a bidding
1: war started on their property? I think it has a lot to do with the bidding war uh, right next to me, especially for deer hunting. I don't, I don't know a whole lot about the waterfowl piece of it because most guys leasing land for waterfowl hunting, they're doing it for one or two days. They're just coming in. They're going to pay a, they're going to pay a good chunk of change to come in there for one or two days, go get their limits and come out of there. Now, deer hunting, you're going to lease that land for the whole year. You know, And it could be in the contract differently Mm -hmm. that maybe you can only do it for bow hunting or maybe only gun season. But most of these guys are coming in the whole year. And I know that there's three or four fields right around me that are leased by guys that aren't even from here. They're from either a different state. There's two guys from Ohio. And I know there's some guys from Detroit, which is an hour away from us. So I think that there's guys coming in with money from cities or other places that don't have the hunting land that we do. And they're really willing to put the money and the time in to come take land. And I think some of these local guys just aren't willing to put the money in that they are, you know. So you think it's more just the
0: fact that people are willing to offer more money rather than the farmers need more money than they used to?
1: Yes, I, I do. I do think it's they're willing to offer more money, you know, because there's a lot of guys right now that that still haunt on – private land that they don't they don't even pay for you know it's just because they know the local farmer they're willing to help him now if someone shows up on that farmer's door and says hey i'll give you a couple grand to hunt this this weekend and maybe the next weekend is that hunter going to get it you know is that farmer going to tell the guy that he's known his whole life hey you can't come hunt here he probably will you know he's willing to take that money and it's nothing personal on the farmer's point of view it's just he needs the money and if the guy's willing to offer it to him he's going to take it
0: Right. So a lot of hunters in our area, I mean, there's a lot of states that I've been researching as we start to do some out-of-state hunt research and stuff like that, where it's extremely hard to lease in those states. I mean, there's some states that it's illegal to lease land out of. How easy do you think Michigan makes it? Like, There's a lot of laws and loopholes, but do you think the, the DNR and the state in general could do a better job of making it more optimal for hunters to lease waterfowl land and deer land?
1: I think that it, it could be a little more presented you know, a little more presentable, they could definitely show land. There should be something so people can get on there and show their land off, you know, be like, Hey, I got land to lease and this, you know, go on a certain website on DNR and just be like, Hey, this is how big it is. This is what it is. This is what we got seeing here, you know? And then it, it, but it would unfortunately cause a bidding war being able to see it. It's not just walking up and, and scouting and knocking on people's doors. I think, um, Michigan, though, makes it pretty easy to lease land. I I don't think that there's too much of a problem with being able to lease the land. Most guys leasing land, I feel like it's just a handshake agreement or it's just a quick write-up and they sign their name. You know, it's, it's money in hand and they go shoot some stuff and there's not too big of a deal. The government doesn't have to get involved all that often. Yeah, and I definitely
0: think Michigan makes it fairly easy, and I will say they protect the farmers quite well when it comes to leasing their land. A lot of people worry, as we talk to more people at leasing land, the biggest thing you hear is, well, I don't want to be held liable. And a lot of, it's very hard for a farmer to be held liable in this day and age, because even on a handshake agreement, if you look into the Michigan law and such, that the only reason a farmer could get in trouble if could get sued or in trouble in general for a hunter getting injured on their property. Let's say is there's three criteria that pretty much protect the hunter all or protect the farmer all around. And the injured leaser has to be able to prove that the landowner, um, knew of the condition or risk at the area of the property and failed to exercise the reasonable care. And that the person who was injured had no reason to know the condition of the risk. So the, basically if the hunter were to get injured, it would have to be something completely non-hunting related that happened. If you know, if there's a sharp cliff on the property, we'll say, even though we don't have a lot of that in southern Michigan. As you get to the UP, you have different elevations and stuff like that. That is covered under Michigan law, and that it's very hard for the farmer themselves to actually be held liable for that sort of thing.
1: I was actually reading a little bit of a post about that, that, um, there was some guys trying to, one guy in particular, actually, he was deer hunting on a guy's land, and, um, there was wells out in the woods, old wells, and they were dug out, and the farmer had actually told him about them, and, uh, he, he fell in and broke his ankle on one of them, and, um, You know, there was a discrepancy on what was going on, but the farmer had already previously told him to watch, you know, to watch out for those pieces in the back of the property. And so there was no, there was no legal suit that he could follow. Right. So as whether or not you, I guess it's more statistical
0: rather, but whether or not leases are becoming more popular just because public land land usage is going up, what do you account the fact that there's less hunters now than there were 20,
1: 30, 40 years ago being too? I, I think there's a whole mix of things. I, I, I think that there was, a, you know, rules and regulations, and you spend a lot of money hunting. You know, there's a lot of people that you got to go buy gear, you got to buy ammo, you got to buy guns, and all that stuff is very expensive. So if you didn't grow up around hunting and you didn't have a grandpa or a dad or a mom or somebody who had. The knowledge and, and the, the tools to take you hunting, you are way less likely to go hunting, you know, because you don't want to go put all that time and money and effort in and then hate it, you know. You don't want to go out there and spend a couple thousand dollars on everything, especially for waterfowl hunting, you know. That's one of the most expensive, you know, hunting things that there is, you know. Deer hunting is a little bit different. If I can get a piece of land, I can get a gun and, and you know, a case of shells, we're, we're pretty good to go uh waterfowl hunting is a little different most of the time you have to have a kayak or a boat you're gonna have to have decoys m- most of the time unless you're just you know trying to pond jump um the guns are expensive the ammo is extremely expensive and you're gonna shoot a lot more shells than you are deer hunting so i feel like there's just a lackluster of people wanting to come hunt because they don't grow up with it because no one wants to spend the money on it
0: all right, so let's talk about that point. Obviously, ammo is a big thing in the world right now, especially, I mean, in the United States, there's a huge shortage, and where where do you think that's heading come waterfowl season? What do you recommend for the easiest way to get ammo, especially 3-inch shells for 12 gauges and 20 gauges? I mean, they're damn near impossible to find at this point.
1: I think you're going to have to take your expectations on what you want to shoot, and you might have to limit those a little bit. And it's not going to be a pick em this year, I don't think. I don't think you're going to be able to walk into a box store and pick what you want right off the shelf and say exactly what shot size and exactly what brand you want to shoot. Um, I think you're going to have to be a little more lenient with what you're shooting this year with the shortages. We'll, we'll see as we get closer to waterfall season if they can get a little more you know, shells repped out and get them <clears throat> on the shelves. But I have a feeling as hunting season nears, there will be less shells because everybody's looking to get them. Um, there's some, you know, there's some companies that you can go through online that are doing them, uh, through just a, a buyer interface, you know, they're not putting them on big box office. So you could definitely go and try to order some from them because they might be able to sh- make them in timely fashion and ship them out to you. Go to your local retailer and ask them if they can get a shipment in, if they can get a hold of something, if they're able to get a hold of somebody or pull some strings to get you some shells. Uh, you know, work your magic. Try anything you can to get a hold of what you want to shoot, but I think you're going to have to be a little less stringent on what it is you're shooting.
0: Yeah, I think it was the – I'm trying to remember what podcast I was listening to earlier, but they had one of the uh, partners of Boschells, which is a growing company here in Michigan, and he said their 3-inch 12-gauge rounds are already backed out until October. So by the time you actually place your order and get down to getting those, season's going to be damn near over.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the – You had to get on it a little earlier. Uh, It was unforeseen, I think. I think a lot of people thought we were going to come back and there was going to be back-to-normal full shelves on the shelves like they used to be. We'll see as we get closer, but uh, I think really a lot of guys' only options if they've waited this long is going to be going to your retailer and seeing what they've got left, and you're just going to have to be a little less picky on what you're shooting. Yeah,
0: I think you're definitely right. So what kind of – I mean – even being less picky though you go to a lot of the stores around us whether they're the local big cabela's bass pro names or the small small you know mom and pop shops that are in town here you can't find realistically anything so what kind of how do you start to find those ammunitions and how do you solve that problem before waterfowl season comes around
1: if it's me i'm i mean i'm looking online seeing if i can find anybody who distributes online um and i'm going to an like an ammo store or something like that and maybe just maybe they can get a bulk shipment of something in and talking to them about it you know a gun store an actual gun store that's just that's all they're doing is talking to ammo and gun guys and just see if they can't get something ordered in for you um, if you don't have any shells right now, though, coming into it and you, you're going to wait the week before, uh, it's probably not a great idea. And it might take you a second to find some. I mean, you might just have to be OK with shooting the cheapest load that there is because that's all that's left on the shelf.
0: All right. So let's say, you know, a lot of the population and we'll just say our area of Michigan start doing that. You think you're going to see a decrease in the amount of birds that are shot in the area? Because those are going to be non, you're not going to have the ammo to be able to pattern test those new rounds. So, how are you going to, you know, do you think you're going to see the quality of hunt go down a little bit?
1: Uh, I don't think you see a drop in numbers. I I think you see a drop in maybe an ethical kill. I mean, if you're shooting a cheaper load, I think it's already, you know, in this day and age, it's proven that you, you might be wounding more birds, especially with some of these guys thinking that they can shoot birds out to 60, 65 yards. There's there's no need for it. Um, if you're shooting a cheaper round, though, and you haven't pan or tested it because you're not wasting ammo and you have no idea how it's coming out of your gun, then uh, I do think you'll see some unethical shots and maybe some unethical kills on birds that didn't need to happen. But I don't think you'll see a decrease in the numbers of birds shot. A lot of these guys that hunt the opening weekend, I mean, they probably have shells from leftover from last year. They'll shoot those again. And then the guys that are hunting big time, they've, they've been preparing for this all year long. They knew what they were getting into.
0: Huh. Interesting. See, I think there's going to be quite a significant drop of actual birds killed. I mean, I was looking at kind of the DNR stats for our area, and I found it really interesting that the past couple of years, there's actually been a higher number of geese killed than there have mallards.
1: I, I don't find that stat all that surprising to me you've had some big droughts in some uh you know big states North Dakota South Dakota and a drought right now they're not getting nearly the bird numbers that they were getting uh parts of Canada aren't getting the birds that they were getting you know and there's a lot of talk of of birds pushing a little bit more west than they used to you know due to the weather we're not getting the winters that we are so i i fully can see the numbers of mallards dropping down because i don't think we're getting the mallards that we used to get here i i just think the pods of mallards coming down and then i think a lot of it has to do with our season um you know in the last two years i've paid attention heavily i feel like there that our season doesn't quite run long enough it starts a little early and it doesn't run quite long enough and i think that's a problem I mean, it maybe statistically doesn't work out that way, but um, we start our season and, and we don't see big volleys of of mallards. Really, we're working with a lot of smaller groups, and a lot of woodies. uh Teal are just getting out of here, um you know. But as we get to the end of the season, last year especially, we paid attention. Our winner didn't come in late, and that might be it. That might be the winner. The winner came in late, and. Um, we weren't seeing a lot of big flocks of birds until the week that we were done you know it was it was the end of season and then they came down they were coming down so i don't know if we need a bigger push on the winter and it'll push them down here a little faster and get us into the middle of the season uh, i don't know if canada didn't see the winter that they wanted to to push them down or if we're just not getting the fronts that we are but i think a lot of people in different states ran into that problem last year there's the winter just didn't show up and nothing got pushed very heavily and when it did it, it disappeared rapidly so- so.
0: Yeah, and I think, I think you're totally right on the seasons there. When it comes down to it, we do have a really early season. And, you know, drawing it back to the whole point of this podcast, it really comes down, come the end of the year, we are seeing all these new birds flying in when, you know, most states are having them leave their state by that point and going back down south. Ours are really just coming down from Canada and you couldn't find land that you could hunt them on because all the leases were taken up for that point, And it was amazing how hard it was to find huntable land because at that point, most of them aren't landing on the public grounds.
1: Yeah, they get smart. You know, they start landing in big, big fields. A lot of cornfields are cut at that, you know, at that point in time. Most cornfields are cut. Um, and it was actually kind of hard to find people to let you come hunt their land. By, by late season, you can knock on a lot of doors and there's a lot of people telling you no, you know, unless you have a pretty... Chunk of change sitting there, willing to give them over, you know, to go hunt their land for the weekend. A lot of people say say no to you, and I. It could be a mixture of them not knowing you, you know, they don't know how you're gonna treat their land, they're not sure about hunting as a whole. Maybe they just don't know if you're gonna leave your shells laying out there, if you're gonna drive your truck out there and rut their land up. They just don't want to deal with it. There's they don't want the headache, and a lot of guys are you know they've planted cover crops, you know they got winter wheat and a lot of things coming in, and they just don't want you out there. They don't want you deal to deal with you and all their stuff out there. So. Um, there might be a multitude of reasons that a lot of people don't want you to hunt there. Uh, I think in the beginning of the season it's just a little easier. There's there's just a lot more generosity going around. Later in the season, though, uh, it's just winners here. I think everybody it gets everybody down in a grumpy mood. They don't want to don't want to talk to you. So how
0: much do you think that really affects the future of hunting? I mean, especially when it comes to trying to find land for all these you know all those young kids that are out there who can't really afford the six seven hundred dollars per gun per hunt fines and not really fines but uh fees fees that these farmers are wanting to get what do you how do you fix that problem and how much does it really affect the future of hunting and if leases are really good for the future of hunting as a whole
1: i think leases are good in some aspects for the future of hunting i think they're really good for crowd you know the, the big crowd over pollution of hunting. In some areas, I think they're really good for uh, you know picking and choosing what you're going to shoot and having a great herd of deer or a you know not shooting too many of of some of one species. Um, but f- as of the new population of hunters, the brand new guys, the young kids, you know, like I like to say we are, you know, we're we're not past our mid twenties now. Um, so I think I think it hurts some of us. You know, there's some guys. That can't afford it, and that—that's that, definitely one. That's something that we run into. You know, we can't afford to go out there and, and lease some of these lands that they've got going on. And I think it hurts some of these younger guys because they'd love to go hunt. They'd love to get on the field and and do what they want to do and figure it out and i think there's only one way in waterfowl hunting to kill more birds you just got to keep hunting keep going and keep figuring out how to work them and how to finish them and without being able to afford that they they just really can't go hunt as much you know you're hunting on public land but public land's only going to serve you for so long you know we get into the later parts of the year and the public land the birds have figured it out you can only shoot that hole so many times before they start figuring out we're not going to fly there anymore and we're going to go somewhere else but i do think there's a lot of opportunities that a lot of guys overlook you know there's a lot of young kids that they they could go to a farmer that doesn't have anybody leasing their land i think they could take the time out of their day and ask that farmer if they can hunt one day and if he's got anything that they could help him with you know they're young strong kids i guarantee there's some farmers around here that if they are willing to put the work in they could go help him out for a day cut some wood fix some fences feed his cat you know anything he's got going on help him out with it and you can get a weekend hunt on his property and go shoot your limit geese or, or ducks.
0: Yeah, and I would definitely say that's probably the biggest thing is just you gotta be able to put the footwork in and walk around and say, you know, you're gonna get shot down nine out of ten times, but that tenth time that you don't
1: get shot down could turn into birds pretty quickly. I think the footwork has a lot to do with it, you know, cuz I don't want to make I don't want to make excuses for anybody trying to be lazy. You know, it takes a lot of work to to shoot ducks and geese, you know, you have to go find them. Not only find them, you got to find the food source, you got to find the roost, you got to find where they're flying to. And, you know, you got to go get the land. There's a lot of footwork, there's a lot of time and money spent into it. And, but if you're willing to put that time and effort into it, I know that you can find people that'll let you come out there and hunt. You know, I don't want it to be the end all be all of if you don't have the money, you can't shoot birds because that's not the truth there's that's far from the truth you can definitely go find land and shoot just as many birds as the guys spending a couple grand on land you know you just gotta be willing to put the time in and know what you're doing and honestly i think it creates a better hunter to hunt on those does that type of land um you just you're willing to work with the time. you're willing to sit there and do the work and And you're also, if you're a public hunter, you know, you're willing to sit there, put all that work in and and then have it ruined by somebody else, you know, you got to have thick skin if you're hunting on public land. So I think it honestly makes a better hunter to have to go through all that. Yeah, you
0: definitely have to be prepared for a lot of, uh, a lot of sore mornings going into a public land. There's plenty of times where, I mean, you and I have tried to go out and you get there and there's, there's 20 trucks sitting there parked out and. You got to find your plan B real quickly, and it's four thirty in the morning, and you got to have that plan B and plan C and plan D ready to go.
1: Well, yeah, when we're hunting public land, we always have a plan B and a plan C to go to. There's a lot of guys around here though. In the beginning of the season, you know, they'll camp out two days in advance, and when the season starts, they'll get out there early. You know, if you work, we'll work Friday. We won't get out of work until seven eight o'clock. You know, we we don't have the time to go out there and camp, so we're getting out there super early on Saturday morning on opening day. And, you know, it doesn't sometimes it doesn't work out that way for us, you know, but we do have contingent plans always in place. And sometimes if it doesn't work out, you get to sit there and and you get to watch birds fly. Maybe you don't get to shoot anything. But like we said, I think that makes a better hunter. It's just, you know, you're not going out there to always kill birds. Sometimes it's just about the experience, about watching the birds fly, about watching them work and just kind of watching the majestic beauty that it is of a duck. Yeah, and I
0: definitely definitely see that being an issue for the younger generation who, you know, if you're just getting started into it, you don't want your first five hunts to just be done hunts where you don't come out walking out with any birds or anything, you know? It's hard to be a new hunter and come out from that first few hunts where you don't have any any birds or even any shots taken. If you're walking back with a full box of shells, it's hard to recoup from that.
1: No, I definitely agree with that. I, I think I think there's a lot of there's a there's one basic answer to help fix all this though. If we can start working, you know, start working together, you get some of these guys that hunt their older generation. They've hunted their whole entire life, and and maybe they're not killing their bag limit of birds every weekend, but they they know how to go out, have a good time, and kill a few birds. I think if they could get some of these guys to take these kids under their wings, you know, if these kids were willing to go out and work with these guys and, and work with these farmers that know their fields and, they could definitely have a lot more fun and go figure it out, especially these public land guys. you got to be willing to work with people because I think you could kill more birds if you're just willing to sit there and not argue and yell at each other and get into fist fights on public land about if you're sitting in the right spot or if somebody's shooting at your birds or whatever it is. If you're willing to go work with that guy, maybe you can kill that volley of birds, you know? Yeah, I definitely think especially on the lake that we – you know, the lakes that we hunt at, mainly
0: on public land – it really comes down to the efficacy that everyone brings to the table. If you got guys there that are only there for themselves to kill the flock of birds that flies over them first, you know, you got to be able to look at those birds and see where they're going to go and decide, you know, whether they're really locked on, the group that's 200 feet away from you, you know, spread, or if they're, if they're looking at your
1: spread kind of thing. I think, you know, that's a big part of it. We go into it and and if we're sitting if we're sitting and there's some guys off in the distance somewhere, you know, and there's ducks kind of circling around and they're looking at their spread, you know, I i lay off my call a little bit i you know i sit still for those guys and i'm not trying to sky them but we've had lots of experiences going out where guys are shooting at birds 300 yards away from them simply because uh, i don't know if it's jealousy they want the birds for themselves or they really think they're going to hit them i don't know but if they really think they're going to hit them maybe we need some more education going on and that just comes down even
0: more to how young of a hunter you are and if, if you're going out there and you're a new hunter maybe you're with a couple of guys that have hunted for a few years now but You got to make sure you know the adequacy of the land you're on. And if you can't understand that, you need to find private land of somebody who just
1: doesn't care what kind of wildlife is on their land. I think a lot of it comes down to finding somebody who's older than you or, or, or maybe they're the same age as you, but they've been hunting their whole life, you know, someone to take you under their wings and train you on what the etiquette of hunting is. And if you can't find anybody to do that with, you know, if you can't find a group of guys that's willing to teach you how to hunt or something like that, there's a lot of people online, a lot of podcasts, you know, we've been listening to a lot of them that will teach you how to hunt. They will teach you how to be the best hunter you can be and, and what the etiquette is when you go on public and private land and how to treat farmers with respect if you know so there's a lot of people you can learn from and if you can't if you can't take the time out of your day to go in there and learn how to do that then maybe you don't need to be hunting and and and, destroying land or or hurting other people because hunting hunting is a a fun sport and i will call a, a sport but it's you know it takes one piece one thing to hurt the whole population you know there's a lot of eyes on hunters right now and especially with the People we have in our offices right now, there's just a lot of things that could come up and hurt hunters. So if you're trying to make everybody look as good as possible and also expand the brand of hunting, you know, make people like it and make people want to come out and hunt because if, if one bad apple shows up, you know, that's all it takes for somebody to get rules <coughs> taken away or, or something to bad to happen.
0: Yeah. And I think for a lot of those, especially young kids out there who are trying to find land to hunt on privately, it's important to look at what farms you're knocking on. I mean, I don't want to make it about money, but you know, if you're offering money down, you got to find the farmers that are willing to accept that money for their land, the farmers that need it. You know, your big 20,000 acre farms around us aren't going to really care if they get $400 for some kids to come kill some geese on their land.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely think that. And there's a lot of farmers around here that hunt. They hunt their land. They have big ponds. They hunt their land, and they'd be willing to let a couple guys come out there and hunt. Honestly, just just for the good time, just to you know teach them the experience that is hunting. You know, you look at a lot of these older farmers. These guys, they like to in, in give wisdom. They like to teach the younger generation because it gives them the opportunity to maybe feel like you know not everybody is is the quote-unquote the new generation or the gen z of you know of everything they want to and give their embodiment their wisdom out to somebody else so maybe one day that they can do the same
0: right and i think for a lot of those young hunters out there you know some things to look into if you're if you're in one of those areas that you know like i said we're blessed with a lot of a lot of woodland around here and a lot of water in our area to be able to hunt on but if you're in one of those groups that you have to drive an hour to find hunting land some of those things you could look into like those pheasant forever type companies and stuff like that where they might be set up hunts but at least you can get the experience of taking out the birds getting your shot down before you're on that public land and every shot you miss might be interrupting somebody else's hunt sort of thing
1: Yeah, yeah, I definitely
0: think so. And the other thing I found interesting about, you know, we've done some polls on our social medias and our website and stuff like that. 68% of the people that we polled were hunting private land. And out of that 66, only 33% of those have leased land and have even hunted on leased land in the past. So I think it's really important to see that most of the hunters that at least are a part of our following are hunting on their own private land or at least land that they're not forced to pay for.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a big number to pay attention to um, because, it you know, it just shows that there's a, there's a lot of guys hunting on, on family land or on their own land. And, um, you know, I think a lot of these people, uh, they, they would be willing to have somebody come out with them and hunt. Now, maybe you can't hunt by yourself, but if, you know, if you're willing to go out there and hunt with them and, and take the experience for what it is, I think it'd be a good time.
0: Yeah, and especially the thing that I found surprising about some of those polls we did is that... Over 75% of people really thought that um, leases were good for the future of hunting, which I found surprising because I feel like most of the people I talk to really see leasing as a bad thing and there is a real financial barrier between the people that think it's good for hunting and bad for hunting. I mean if you have less money to do it – you're more likely to think it's bad for hunting, but if you lease out two or three properties a year, you're probably more more apt to say, "Oh, well, this is good for hunting because it gets me birds and deer and turkey and whatever else you're getting."
1: I think it's just the crowd you're talking to. You know, it, you got to you got to take who you're talking to and take it with a grain of salt because, you know, we talk to the guys that are our age, and you know, they're working like hell to pay for everything that they're paying for. And, you know, maybe they don't have the time or the money to go put into private land and they think leases aren't the greatest thing in the world because they'd rather be able to just knock on a door and go out there and hunt the land but you take some of the older guys you know they've got they've got the money they've got the time they've put in their work you know they were us at one point and now they've got what they wanted in life so they are willing to go out there and put the money down on the table to have a good hunt because they don't you know they've put their work in so they think leases are great
0: yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of it, you know, for the people that can't find land to hunt on, day leasing is probably a much bigger area that you could go into. It's it's much easier to find a farmer that is willing to let you go on there for a day or two. Because even if, let's say, that land's already leased out for deer hunting for a whole year, you know, if you talk to that farmer and they say it's already leased and you offer, what about one weekend for X amount of money? They might be more apt to say, well, let me give that deer hunter a call and see if They'd be willing to let you come in for a weekend and waterfowl hunt because maybe they've already shot their 12-point point in their doe for the year. You know, you just don't know and you want to keep your options open fully.
1: Yeah, I definitely, definitely agree with that. Um, I think dailies are, are big in the waterfowl industry. They're not so big in the, in the deer hunting industry. I think deer hunting, you're trying to set up in the beginning of the year. You're trying to get your food plots in. You're trying to... Make sure that you know you know the buck of the doe that you're trying to kill that year, and you're gonna sit there and wait for that exact one. Now, waterfowl hunting, you're just looking for the feed. You're looking to see can I can I get a volley of birds to come over me? Am I you know my like, as long as I'm not shooting the roost, I'm I'm good to go. So if you can follow them to that field and get them to land in that field, you know a day to two days, that's all you need. By that time, they're gone. Yeah, and you
0: summed it up perfectly earlier when you said that, you know, deer, you're hunting the same population year round. You know, when you're waterfowl hunting, it's changing weekly or every other week and that sort of thing. And I think one of the other big things that you have to look at when we're talking to more DNR officers in our area and such is when it comes down to a lack of land, the poaching that happens. And do you think that poaching is more of a generational issue and a disrespect for the land and the wildlife or more of a. There's less land to hunt on, so those guys that just live for the kill of the bird or the deer, or whatever they're hunting, are more apt to just kind of go out and get it one way or another, whether it's lawful or not. I
1: think it's... I don't, I, I, I'm i up for the no excuses option on that one. I don't condone poaching in any way, shape, or form. I, I don't think that you can give them an excuse saying that, you know, there's not enough land to hunt. You know, we, we hunt on public land all the time, and we kill quite a few birds and you know and you can public hunt deer as well and turkey there's plenty to go around on this these public lands and if you can't public hunt for some odd reason i'm sure you can find a farmer that's willing to let you come out and hunt a weekend and just get your hunting experience in or something you know if not they're willing to let you squirrel hunt at least so i don't want to give them an excuse to say hey there's less land so i should be able to go poach that's why i went and poached i think a lot of these guys are poaching because they're lazy you know they're not willing to go out there and find it. They're, most of these guys that are poaching, they're driving down the road, they see a big buck sitting on the side of the road, and they're like, oh, phew, I can shoot that buck, easy. You know, they stop their truck, and they, they shoot it off the side of the road, you know, and I think they just, because they're lazy, they don't want to go out, they don't want to put the work in, and I think it's, it's bad for hunters, but, you know, it's not only bad for hunters, but it, it's bad for the... Population of animals in a hole because there's so many guys putting in so many hours to hunt that buck. That buck, that guy, guy might have been hunting that buck for the whole year. You know, he's put in food plots, he's put in time, he's put in money, he's putting in effort, and he doesn't get to shoot that buck now because you decided you were going to pull over on the side of the road. So, you know, I'm not willing to give him an excuse to poach.
0: Yeah, and I think you're definitely right on that. It's really just a no excuse, no tolerance policy, and that's exactly how the DNR sees it. And don't get me wrong, there are some laws out there that, you know, that it's hard to follow with the DNR, especially in Michigan. They they tend to be a little late on the releasing of new laws. They're just now changing some of the deer laws coming up in this season, and we're recording this in last week of July. So, But, like, as far as our waterfowl season goes, they still haven't released the exact dates for everything for waterfowl season.
1: Uh, you know, I feel like, especially this year, we've been a little bit late to the party. Uh, I'm not exactly sure why that is or, or what's going on with that. But uh, our rules, I don't feel like, change a lot. I, I do think the DNR could do a better job at laying out the rules in a, on a more clear note, though. Sometimes you got to read through your pamphlet five or six times and 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 then there might be a rule in there that you're reading one guy reads it one way the other guy reads it another way and then there's kind of a, a, a mix up on well what is the rule what's not the rule but that i think that happens very far few in between but um it could be clearer especially in like more of the uh not necessarily the waterfowl uh
0: laws haven't changed much the past few years but last year was a huge year in twenty twenty for the deer season laws changing. I mean there was a lot of confusion and I mean I know people that got talks from DNR and the DNR were nice enough not to hand out any tickets to anyone I know, but I do know two or three guys that were stopped because the laws changed as far as public or private land. I mean there were certain times in the year where you could use a shotgun on or a rifle on private land but not a muzzle loader and it was different for public land and the seasons came in and out quite a bit and Even though we still have a muzzleloader season in Michigan, there's no longer a week-long muzzleloader season where you can just use muzzleloaders. Even Mm -hmm. though they still label it as one, the law, and the pamphlet, and online, is very confusing, and even I
1: myself had to call into the DNR to actually get a clarification on the rules. I think due to this chronic wasting disease for the deer population, there there was a lot of changing of the rules. You know, they were trying to, it seems like, get rid of some of the population off, so they're trying to make it easier on guys to shoot and get more population of dudes out there to Kill deer um, to try to knock the population down a little bit. I think they got scared a little bit quickly on the chronic wasting disease, and, and they were trying to um, add rules and get rid of some rules that they thought inhibited people going out and hunting. But they did it at a, such a rapid pace that you know the guys who have hunted for a long time they just that's that's the importance of reading your pamphlet and making sure you know what you're you're up to date on your rules. You know, there's a lot of guys that hunted. For a long, long time, they just they expect the rules to be the same. They expect the dates to be the same, and they're not. They change. So I think you got to put that on the, the DNR for maybe making it a little easier to find, a little a little better to do, but also got to put it on the hunter to take the time out of the day and go actually read your state's rules and your regulations and your dates.
0: Yeah, and I think that pretty much sums it up. Is it's kind of on both parties. One party has to do their research better, and the other party really just has to make it easier to – really find the information out there. I mean it's it's like talking to the government about trying to find out where your money's going,
1: you know? <laughs> I I definitely agree about that. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it's it's a government organization. It, it, last year though, we we didn't we couldn't find pamphlets. There was no pamphlets. You had to go online. So you have to go online, you have to go through the whole PDF and you got to go on there and then swipe through it on your phone and, and a lot of and then there was some applications on there where uh, you had to swipe over and then you'd have to swipe down to see the whole entire page, you know, it didn't show you that there was another page underneath <clears> of it. So you'd be missing some things. Um, Especially on 90 page document. Uh, yeah. No, non- yeah. All
0: deer rules or waterfowl rules. And then know.
1: there's a lot of the older generation guys they don't know anything about their phone they have no idea how to get a pdf they have no idea how to look on there so without a pamphlet available because for some reason covid made us have a paper shortage i'm not sure how that worked but um they they just they didn't couldn't look they were very confused and i think there was a lot of people calling in and asking questions because they were like well where's my where's my hand paper you know where, where can i go and see the rules they're saying go online well a lot of these guys don't know how to go online and look
0: yeah it's it's definitely difficult for a lot of people the non-technology side of people to figure out what the rules are especially in a year like 2020 where even though it's you know hopefully an anomaly but there was a bunch of rule changes at a really bad time when they didn't really have at least in the state of michigan a set area like the dnr checkpoints were closed most of the time until hunting season actually started so it really created an issue of people there were more tickets given out last year i think the previous decade combined or not
1: combined but the previous decade year to year I think the tickets also had to do with, the. I think we had a bigger population of people hunting. There was nothing to do at the end of last year. Absolutely nothing. Nothing was open. You couldn't do anything. By that time, everybody was kind of over the blissful uh, you know, puppy dog stage of, oh, I get to stay home and not work. I think a lot of people were sitting there thinking, well, what can I do? What can I take my family to go do that's actually interesting for once? And right. hunting was a big thing because you get out there, you're alone, you're in the wilderness, and, and you can definitely have a lot of bonding time and have a lot of fun out there so I think there was a lot of hunt new hunters out last year a lot of brand new people that haven't done it in a long you know they haven't either done it in a long time or they've never done it so I think you were just gonna have a lot more tickets which I'm hoping for those new hunters that they were able to get the lay of the land and the rules down that they didn't get most of those tickets because I'd hate to see a new hunter get a ticket because that could definitely ruin it for some people.
0: Yeah, and I would really love to see a. a, I don't know how plausible it is to get a stat like this, but even if the DNR would have just released a stat of, you know, even though the number of licenses, you know, didn't really change a whole lot, but just what they, the amount of time each hunter spent in the woods. Yeah, I I wish
1: that was a stat that you could come up with. Um, That's probably in that ninety-page document somewhere. I'm sure it is. You know, you got to read through the whole thing. (laughs) Um, But. As you know As this year We'll see how things go I don't think this year Will be Quite as bad As last year I think I honestly think We'll have Less people out Hunting public land I did notice Last year There was a boom In public land hunting uh, just the first two weekends, you know, it's warm, it's easy to go out there and hunt, all you need is a is a kayak or, or something like that, and then there's a lot of guys, I think, that just, they don't pay attention, they don't do their look, looking stuff up, and they don't know what they're doing out there, because we ran into quite a few people last year coming in about 30 minutes late into the day, the ducks are flying prime time, and they're wearing bright yellow or bright orange like they're deer hunting, um, you know, that's... I think that's just a lack of, of research, you know, look up what you need to hunt that thing. I think they're just out there that, you know, and I don't, I don't blame them and I, you know, you can't, you can't down them for it. They're trying to go out there and have a good time, but I think they need to do the research a little better.
0: Yeah. And that, again, I think circle backs to just how easy it is to find that, find that
1: information and how actually readily available it really is. I think to sum everything up that we've been talking about this whole entire podcast, you know, is, pri- is private land, public land, is leasing, it- does it all work out in the end? I-, I think it just depends on who you're looking at. If you're looking at the new, the new hunter who's really not willing to put the money in, I think leases... They don't work for them, but you're hoping that with the amount of public land that we have and the amount of hunters that we have around here, that they will be able to go hunt and enjoy their time out in the woods or out in the fields or marshes. Um, But if you're looking at some of the guys that have a little more money, they're willing to put the time in. They're definitely hunting every single time they can during the week. They're taking a month off of work to go hunt these ducks. Leases work out great for them. They don't have to deal with anybody on the land. They don't have to deal with... With any guys out there messing up their hunting and they can definitely just watch the feed and keep the ducks and geese flying in at a constant rate, yeah. I think to really
0: it really all sums up as whether it's good or bad for the future of hunting or for the environment as a whole. Um, you're having a decrease in the number of hunters and the number of licenses sold, but I think the quality of hunt overall has probably gone up in the long run. There, there's more. Even though there's less hunters, there's more birds per, per hunter being shot. So you can look at it as the populations going down of hunters, or you can look at it as those who are sticking with it and are hunting. You know, their quality of hunt is much better than what it was probably 40 years ago.
1: You know, I will say social media, I think, actually has a lot to do with that, too. There's a lot of people on social media. If you know anybody hunting ducks or, or a deer or you know, something like that, they're, they're not posting pictures of of these unethical shots or, or, or of, you know, winged geese sitting there still alive. They're not posting pictures of of tiny you know tiny tiny baby deer that haven't been alive for more than a couple months you know they're posting these trophies and 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 everybody now sometimes that's a bad thing sometimes that's false so these guys go out and think they're going to get a bag limit or going to get 12 point every time they go hunting but also at the same time it does give people a reasonable expectation that maybe they should go out and do their research and uh kill something you know a little more ethical or, or a little bigger the next time
0: Right, and it, it just comes back down to, you know, everything else in our society is, you know, the Jones is down the road. You want you want to have a buck as big as the next guy on your
1: social media feed. Oh, yeah. It's always a competition. Hunting has now become a competition, you know. It's definitely a competitive game, which un- which is fortunate for some things and unfortunate for others, you know. It definitely creates some bad apples because if you get competitive, you're kind of willing to do anything and everything it takes to get that animal that the other guy couldn't get you know but uh i think you have to be willing to go out and tell yourself hey i might not shoot anything today i might not see an animal today but that's okay because i'm gonna sit here i'm gonna take my time and i'm just gonna enjoy what it is to be outside and a hunter you know i'm gonna enjoy the whole process of it and i think that's what it comes down to you need to be mature and enjoy just sitting there alone or with your buddies and having telling stories and and just having a good time Yeah, and you
0: know one thing I will say is if you're going out duck hunting and you're with a group of guys and you come back and you don't enjoy the hunt, you're with the wrong group of people that are hunting. Uh, yeah it's yeah. much different from deer hunting and you should pretty much always enjoy the hunt whether you sat in 20 degrees and saw nothing or whether you unloaded a box
1: of shells uh, i was gonna say you know i i'm not a huge deer hunter i do i deer deer hunt occasionally but i love waterfowl hunting because i love getting with my buddies and i just i it's just amazing feeling going out there and talking to them and telling stories and you get with some of the older guys and they have so many stories to tell you and they love to sit there and just <clears> and just Get your opinion on things and and kind of just make you laugh and it's such a fun time to be around everybody.
0: Right, and I think that's pretty much sums it up in a whole as what hunting should be like. Whether you're young or old or new to it or I've been doing it for fifty years, that's that's pretty much how it should be
1: every time you walk in the woods. I don't. I totally agree. Um, you know, to end this podcast, I think we're going to start talking about next week's podcast. We're going to be going over. The Biden administration and what this new administration means for hunting. What, you know, some rules and regulations and and what they're going to bring to the table. We're going to get a little political with it.
0: Yeah, that should definitely be an interesting one. Once we have our, you know, our third partner here, it should be quite the, quite the debateful podcast. And I think that, that definitely will be an interesting one that you guys should listen to. So go ahead and tell us about these 10-Minute
1: Tuesdays that you're drumming up as well. So the 10-Minute Tuesdays are going to be every Tuesday. We're going to do a 10-minute podcast. They might go a little over sometimes, but they won't be much more than 15 minutes at maximum. But... um. It's going to be a topic or you know, that causes a debate. You know, it's going to be something that is kind of one group is saying it's a go and one group saying it's not a go. And uh, we're going to kind of lay the topic out in the first five minutes and in the and, and uh, go over it. And then in the second five minutes, we'll kind of go over last week's topic or what everybody was saying in the comments and kind of how we feel about it. And, and maybe we were surprised. Maybe we weren't surprised. So. All right, guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed the first episode of our Locked On
0: Sound podcast. Um, SouthernMichiganWaterfowlchasers.com is where you can find all of our uh, products and stuff like that. You can find anything from our duck and goose calls there. Tons of different sounds for each one. Our sound bites are available on our websites as well with our woody whistles. And another thing that is starting to pick up some steam in our product line is our custom knife work as well. We do a lot of custom handle work. And if you guys are looking to get a gift for somebody or something for yourself that has some, you know, custom wood burning stuff like that in it, definitely a way to go. And our apparel line and decoys will hopefully be dropping soon, so be on the lookout for that as well, guys.